This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Don Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I'm joined by one of the world's funniest storytellers, an exceptionally crafty writer, and a touring comedian who typically does over 100 dates a year. He has stand-up specials, a Netflix series, and on late-night television, he's on the most wanted list. On this episode, we talk about the importance of power napping, how we both coincidentally found our voices as comics that avoided explicit material, and why Brian considers himself the laziest playwright of all time. Coming up is my discussion with funny man Brian Regan about laughs and life. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, you're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La 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 la, la 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 la. Hey Pat, how are you? I'm well, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This morning I was thinking about is if you have any mundane superpowers. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if I have any, but I used to dream. I had a recurring dream that I knew how to fly, and it was a very gentle kind of flying. I had this dream probably a hundred times in my life. I knew that I had to stand and face a soft breeze, and I had to trust I had to trust that the breeze would lift me and I would have to just lift my feet. But there was a trust component within the dream. And I would lift my, I'd have to lift my feet and the breeze would just lift me up. I wouldn't go fast, but I floated above everybody. Nobody else knew how to do it. And uh, at least in the dream. And it was just a marvelous dream. And I've had it hundreds of times in my life. I love it. Now, do you, and when you are dreaming, do you know you're dreaming? No, I, I, every time I'm dreaming, I think that it's happening. Yeah. And I've had those moments in dreams where I say, is this a dream? And then I prove to myself that it's not, that it actually is really happening. And then I wake up later and go, that was a dream. <laughs> right. See, it's funny. I have had dreams where I knew it was a dream. And so I, I mean, I guess I thought, well, the only way to find out if this is a dream is to drive the car right into the tree, right? Like, <laughs> like, like I have done that. Like, I feel like this is enough of a dream that I'm going to go for it, right? <laughs> um, I don't know what that says about my dreaming, uh, you know, daredevilness, but... Um, but what a but horrible I, experiment if you actually <laughs> were not dreaming. So clearly we've proven those were all dreams. Yes, right? yes. Um, I mean, I have had that also when my kids were growing up. I've had that thought about driving into a tree when they were bickering in the back seat, right? Like, <laughs> like I could just end it all for us right now. But I know how to end this argument. Yeah, yeah, right. It wasn't a dream, but it was, it was, it, it was easily a way out. Um, <laughs> no, I guess what made me actually think of the question was that I have a weird thing where I can set an alarm 
for the morning or for whatever, a nap, anything where I have to be on a radio show. And I typically wake up just before the alarm goes off. And I, I feel like that must be some kind of superpower that won't get me anywhere in life. But, you know, I'm always like, hey, I beat the alarm by just a few minutes. You know, I, I wish I had that. Um, there are times when I'll wake up before the alarm, but I, I'm a guy who absolutely needs an alarm clock. I've known people in my life who say they never set an alarm, that they know how to wake up for what they need to wake up for. I'm like, how could you test? Like if you have a flight right. to catch or a train to catch or a, a meeting you <laughs> right. have to be at, how, how could you possibly trust that system? Right. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I conversely, I'm amused by the people who add time. They don't trust themselves to get up when the alarm goes off. Like to me, Alarm system is, you hear it, just leap up. Like, it's time. Like, set it for when you need, whether it's the shower or whatever. But the people who say, oh, I back time it. I put 15 extra minutes so I can snooze. And then, and it's sort of like, well, how do you know if this was the snooze one or the real one? Or the, you know? I'm one of those people, though. Okay, so I, they, I, what, what? how far in advance do you set your preamble? A crazy amount like an hour and a half to two hours before I need to actually be up. I'm not joking. And then how many like snoozes? A, Is that a dozen snoozes or do you, are you have a reset? I will snooze. The snooze is nine minutes and I will <laughs> snooze up to 10 times. I'm not exaggerating. I, I, I put it this way. I love going to sleep. I love it. And my system, I get to go to sleep like six times, seven times a day, whereas most people go to sleep one time a day. That's I don't mind waking up as long as I know I can go right back to sleep. So, like, oh, I can hit the snooze, go to sleep. Oh, I can go to sleep. You know, I get, I get to enjoy that over and over again. <laughs> well, there, this makes me think of two things. One, are you familiar with opium dens? I've, I've heard of them. They Well, they always show somebody laying in a bed, you know, <laughs> in sort of a half sleep. That's just a thought. But the other... I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm going to look more into it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess the other thing is I wonder if this is part of your creative process. And by that, I mean, you know, when you're in a sort of partial sleep state, are, are you having obtuse ideas? Are you, you know, I mean, is there something going on there for you that... Because I know that when I nap, I have a reset. You know, typically if I'm doing a show at night and I don't nap during the day, I'm just not as witty or as sharp at that moment of attack. I, I do I do the pre-show nap thing as well. I like to nap for like an hour if I can. If I have a show that night, I'll want to nap from like five to six in the afternoon. What it does creatively, I don't know. But the nap before a show is so much deeper and more intense than the nighttime sleep. Like I go to another planet and I wake up then at, you know, whatever time before the show. And I feel, I just feel recharged and ready to rock. It makes me feel great. You know what? I know a lot of musicians, a lot of comedians, and we all know it. Like, you know not to call a guy between that moment, <laughs> between five and six. Oh, he's in a pre-show nap. I guarantee it. Um, or, or, you know, people who are not in the business going, we should get together for dinner before your show. And you're like, 
that has nothing to do with how this night is going to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very easy. Just why don't you on the way to the show, Brian, just stop by the restaurant to meet my friend. And you, you can have an appetizer with us and I'll introduce you to my kids. And then, oh, I see. And the yeah, other, right. and maybe I'll stop by the other 1,500 people's table that are coming to the show. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know how you're routine is you are a you are a road dog i mean you are out there working as hard as anybody um, doing shows where you're on the move right so there's probably times on the tour bus and times on a plane is there a pattern for you what happens in your daily routine that sort of keeps you from losing your mind um not much i uh i remember hearing a bit of a richard jenny bit where he is uh, with a new girlfriend out on the road and they're in the hotel room and the girlfriend picks up that the hotel booklet that shows all of the things you can do nearby. And <laughs> it's like we could go to the winery and we could go do this and we could do that. And Richard Jenny's like, what are you doing? And she's like, these are all the stuff we can do today before your show. He goes, put that book down. <laughs> we're not doing any of that. We're going to hang out. We're going to watch Jeopardy. And then we're going to go to, you know, take a nap and then I'm going to do my show, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had an exciting answer for you, but I really don't do much nope. on a show day. Listen, I understand. And, you know, uh, the the my understanding of Johnny Carson's routine was that he was quite a shy guy and that he spent his time in Malibu. He played the drums. He played tennis. He did certain things at home, but he sort of saved it up for the show. And he would go in and he looked extroverted and social and all of those kinds of things. But... He really didn't like to go to parties. It was not in his wheelhouse to be doing that. So do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? I would say I'm an introvert. I, I do like to go to parties and stuff, but that's either after shows or on nights I'm not performing. I just wanted to make it clear. Uh, the previous answer was about show days. Right. I don't do anything. Um, I do like to go out occasionally. Um I tend to like to hang out with comedians um, because I feel like they get the psyche. Um, they get the fact that we're not funny all the time. You know, it's easier to not be funny around a comedian than to not be funny around a non-comedian. That is, that is a great statement. <laughs> you know, because most, it's funny when people hear you're a comedian and they say be funny or they come up to you at a party and they're like, tell me a joke. And you go, well, I don't really tell those kinds of jokes. Like right. I tell stories or I want to, oh, well then tell me a story. I go, well, yeah, but this is, this isn't a one-on-one -on -one thing. I don't, you know, walk table to table and do this. Um, like yeah. some kind of wine steward, you know, would you like what? to smell the joke? <laughs> you know? One thing I've noticed about when you tell people you're a comedian, first of all, I never give up that information unless I am point blank asked. My answers are always incredibly vague. People must think I'm some kind of uh, undercover spy or something because I'm like, well, I travel. I, you know, like, like I, I'm never clear about what I do, but I also don't like to lie. So I will answer the question if somebody point blank says, what do you do for a living? Then I'll say I'm a comedian. And I've noticed there's a physical reaction. People will jerk their head back. <laughs> Whatever you say, I'm a comedian, people go, really? Really? <laughs> really? 
And I don't know what causes the little neck thing, but uh, it's just something I've observed over the years. It's probably similar to when people say, you're a juggler, they move two of their hands like something's <laughs> happening, right? You know, oh, you're a juggler, right? You know? Like this? Yeah, oh yeah, we know you don't have any equipment right now, but you, you do juggle, right? You know? That's funny. When I was a kid, I was a teenage magician. I did card tricks and I was incessantly pick a card, whatever. When you're learning it, it's fantastic. You're always engaged in something and it kind of gives you social confidence. Once you get good at it, you don't want, you, people will come out to me in a, like at the beach in a bathing suit. Oh, Mr. Magic, can you, you have no sleeves. Can you, I go, no, I'm at the beach. <laughs> like I'm at the beach. Oh, well then you're not really magic. No, I never was really magic. I had <laughs> I bought them at a magic shop. <laughs> I mean, it was like they would go, oh, let's see what you could do now with no clothes on. I go, I, I don't intend to do anything. <laughs> That's so funny. They had a thing out here. Um, I live in Las Vegas, and Chris Angel did this, I don't know, escape thing with a building exploding, and he escaped and whatever it was. And so the local news, they, they, they did an expose, if you will, where they showed this trick um, of Chris Angel escaping from some scenario and they showed him running in slow motion and they put a circle around him and they showed the explosion or whatever behind him. And it's like, look, look, he didn't actually like, you know, um, do the magical thing. We, we caught him in the act and, and, and I, I didn't understand what they were trying to accomplish. Like, we all know it was a magic trick. You just revealed it to us. Right. Yeah, it's so it's so funny how much information now people want to spread. So I was doing some close-up magic at a Thanksgiving event, and total strangers, nobody knew what I was capable of. And I do it, and it's all in good fun. And one guy, super frustrated, well, you're going to tell us, right? I go, no, why would I? It's just fun. It's just like a little riddle. He goes, no, you have to tell us. I go, well, why do I have to tell you, right? And he just kept pressing, and I thought, this is pretty awkward. And he goes, I'm going out to have a cigarette. So he goes out on the patio, and while he's smoking a cigarette, he goes on Google, he looks at things, he comes screaming in, hey, everybody, this is exactly what happened and how. And it was so obnoxious. I felt like a 10-year-old a that was being bullied, and I'm like, I'm wow. not doing card tricks for you then. <laughs> You don't get to enjoy that, you know? And I felt like I pouted out of the room. And it wasn't because I had some big thing I wanted to pull over. It was just sort of the whimsy or the wonder of, to me, the coolest thing about magic is for an adult to escape for a moment and go, I don't know how that lady's floating. Like, that's pretty weird and cool. Or yeah. try to figure the puzzle out yourself. But the idea that you get the secret recipe and come running back and go, I know exactly what spices Colonel Sanders is using. We're putting him out of business. Forget the 12 spices. Yeah. It just felt kind of cheap to me. Absolutely. It's, it's best to not know everything. I mean, magic is enjoyable because you don't know how it was done. You know, you know something happened that you didn't catch, but that's the fun in it. Our stomping grounds early on was uh, the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, where you 
go and you try your material or, you know, they just had great, great audiences that were regular people. They weren't really an industry crowd. So comedians would be sitting around the green room and some dude would be putting a dove in his pocket and, you know, sticking a <laughs> balloon in his pants and whatever, right? It was sort of always getting all formally ready. And those guys are amazing, but they're very skittish in the pre-show. Like you don't pat them on the back or hug them or like something could go wrong. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's like, no, 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 no. I have a glass of wine in that pocket. You hug him and he explodes. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, you, you, your comedy has taken many forms. Your, your stand-up and your storytelling are uh, really, really fun to watch. Uh, you work in uh, what I would consider to be real broadcast television, kind of clean family scenarios. You know, how protective are you of that in terms of, your brand, like what when you write, are you thinking about that as an audience, or it's just sort of where you are in your head with your humor? Well, first of all, thank you for the nice compliment. In terms of the clean aspect, yeah, I've always been queasy about the description. Uh, yeah, even though I work that way, I like working that way because I like the personal challenge of it. I want to see how hard I can get an audience laughing without hitting certain buzzwords or talking about certain topics. And a lot of people have the wrong idea about why I do it. Some people think I'm making a statement, you know, like, Hey, this kind of comedy is better than that kind of mm -hmm. comedy. And, and that's not the point at all. It's like, I, I like that kind of comedy too. I like dirty comedy. I like comedians who can do that. Well, I just like to do it the way that I do it, but I don't do it because I'm, I think an audience is expecting that I do it because I enjoy it. And if an audience happens to gravitate towards it, well, great, you know, um, that's a win-win, but I, I, I never did it in terms of a branding thing. In fact, I'm always very careful in our own PR stuff that goes out that I never want us touting the word clean. Right. And I do remember in the days of going up at the Melrose Improv that after years of just being sort of this Midwestern white bread comic, I was like, nobody knows me out here. I'm going to try. I'm going to write dirty, something dirty tonight. Like this was like right. my big thing. Now, first of all, it's not in my voice <laughs> and, and I'm on it <laughs> like midnight and I go up and I, this this is specifically one of the jokes I remember that I wrote a um, kids book for kids with Tourette syndrome uh, called "Where the Fuck Is Waldo?" Right, <laughs> and uh, I, you know it's funny to even hear, but I delivered it and it didn't sound right coming out of me, and the crowd slightly <laughs> slightly snickered, but then they gave me the stink eye for like, "Hey, that's not what you yeah, you know what are you doing." Whatever. And I'm telling you, I didn't come out of the showroom before some comic offered me money for it. He goes, <laughs> he goes, you're never going to use that again. That's a good joke. You're not going to ever say that again. So just uh, give it to me. That's great. And it, it, but it, but it, it taught me a little bit more just to honor my voice, you know, as opposed to trying to get an HBO special by being just a little dirtier. I had a, a joke many, well, in the first year of doing comedy before I decided to go 100% clean. I, I had some dirty stuff. 
And there was a thing in the news at the time that uh, certain libraries were taking certain books off the shelves because of content. And I said, um, so I set it up that way. And then I said, and then take this book, for example. This has been taken off the shelves. I read the whole book cover to cover. I don't understand why this content would be offensive to anybody. I had a prop as well. So, and I held it up. And the, the name of the actual book was The Brave Little Duck. Okay. So I doctored it up. Right. <laughs> to, and I say, I don't understand. I read the whole book cover to cover. I don't see what the problem with is. Um, the, the little fuck. I like, have any of you heard of this book? I, has, does anybody have any problems with the little fuck? Like, I don't understand why this is so controversial. And then they laughed and I go, okay, okay. Clearly I doctored it up for a joke. Clearly I doctored this up. Let me reveal the actual title. And then I pulled off the word brave. It's the brave little fuck. The brave little fuck. Right. That's funny. And then that would get the audience laughing. And then I would drive home going, what kind of comedian am I? Right. Well, <laughs> but, but, but in the early days, we're, we're all trying to figure it out, right? Uh, no, I did a routine where I opened for Jay Leno in Des Moines, Iowa at the Ingersoll Dinner Theater. I remember it because it was such a big deal to me at the time. And I had a prop, which was a candle, and it was sort of a novelty thing that had numbers on it. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever. It was a candle alarm clock. And you would sleep on your stomach and you would stick the candle in your ass to the number. <laughs> right? That you wanted to wake up and you light the candle. And then the thing is, if you didn't get your ass out of bed by seven o'clock, you know, whatever. And if you, and if you would fart, you might oversleep, right? So I thought it was hilarious. Now, what's funny is afterwards, Jay goes, I don't think you need the candle. You know, like he was really hilarious. He's like, why are you even bringing the candle up there? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm doing yet. You know, I'm new. At this. It's, it's part of the joke, right? I, I had a joke, like I told you, when in the first year or two that I did comedy, I tried everything, and, and I and I had some props. I went up with a little bag with props in it. I wouldn't consider myself a prop act at the time, but five minutes of of my twenty minutes, I I pulled these props out, and I was so bad at prop comedy that I had props for things that did not require the prop at all. I'm already referring to the thing. So I, there, was, there was one about, uh, there's a cereal called 40% Brand Flakes. That's an actual cereal. I don't know if it exists anymore. So I said, you know, I bought a box of cereal. It was less than half full. I bring it back to the grocery store manager and I said, hey, this cereal was less than half full. And he goes, yeah, you bought 40% Brand Flakes. And I, I held the box up. Why do I, why do I need the box? Everybody knows what the box is. Everybody, the words have conveyed this joke already. The not needing the prop reminds me of some theater. When I was doing my touring show, The Wonder Bread Years, uh, they the theater said to me, "Well, we require a, a descriptor for the blind," and I said, "That's what I'm doing. Like I'm talking." <laughs> I'm telling the story like like it's not a play where somebody's approaching me with a gun and like it's one dude talking and uh, and so I said do you mind if I take that on I mean there's times that it's really valuable so when you have 
uh, American Sign Language folks. I don't know if you're familiar. I had this play called The Bunk Bed Brothers, and it was a silly brotherly comedy. There was a moment where we were reflecting on our childhood, and we took our white undershorts out, put them over our heads so we were looking through the leg hole, and we reenacted the theme to Sea Hunt where we were underwater swimming. It was very <laughs> funny, silly kind of things you did when you were a kid. Right. So the American Sign Language folks that were on either side of the stage covering both of our dialogue, I walked over and we handed them underwear. <laughs> so they had to have them on at the same time. We're like, it's like you don't get to do the words unless you do the right. actions, right? And it was such a funny thing to see and that the audience wasn't even paying attention to the play anymore. Oh, that's great. They were like, what is this <laughs> chorus of strange underwear? You know? <laughs> that's so great. Aside from your stand-up, you have this kind of hard comedy show, a series on Netflix that is stand-up that blends to sketch and comes back to stand-up. And in watching your stand-up, I noticed that you you often do that anyway, which is that you go to a scene where you play the characters within it. Is that what where the concept for you came to to expand it to sketch? Well, it's interesting. When I at one point I tried to script out my act, you know, I was like, I, I should write this all out. And as I was writing all of my bits out, I realized that many of them, like you just described, were scenes. They're like little vignettes. You know, I set up a situation and it's a scene with me and an eye doctor or me and a flight attendant or me with an inanimate object. I have a whole thing about the ironing board and I act it out and it's a scene. So many of my jokes are these little moments in time and I describe the absurdity of it. And then I realized when I was doing it, I thought, I'm like the world's laziest playwright. Because <laughs> I I refuse to write a play that lasts longer than a minute. You know, it's like, I, I like to write these little things, but I don't want a through line. I don't want to worry that this character's current dialogue is inconsistent with something happened in Act 1. I just want to think of a little funny thing, write it out, and boom, it exists and it's over. And so it does lend itself directly to sketch. And um, more and more, I'm intrigued with doing the sketch show. The thing you're talking about was on Netflix, still is, called Brian Regan's Stand Up and Away. And I did some of my older stand-up bits, and I led them, I segued them into new sketches. And I would like to do either that exact show or a similar show moving forward. So uh, Cool. We're trying to do that right now. And did you have formal acting training yourself? And did you go through any kind of theater work or other things? Or did it kind of come from your stand-up and began to do it after you were had established your own personal character? I studied communicate, communication and theater arts when I was in college. <laughs> studied is the wrong. I was in the <laughs> communication theater arts department. Sitting next to people who studied. Right. Um <laughs> But I, you know, so I had, I was in plays. Yeah, I played football in the first semester of each year. I played small college football. And then I was in theater. I was in plays the second semester of each year. And it was interesting to me because I was in two different worlds. I was in the jock world for half the year. And then I was in the theater world for half the year. These worlds didn't really mix that well, but I enjoyed both of them. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of your teammates didn't join you in Sound of Music. Correct, right. correct. And the Sound of Music cast didn't come to our football games. <laughs> right. 
I wasn't a theater nerd. I was kind of a comedy nerd and I had a couple of comedy high school buddies. We made our own fake fraternity, which we called Tri Kappa Stooge. And <laughs> we thought we were hilarious. But um, but we would go to the sports things because there was an audience. We were always trying to figure out where's an audience. Oh, look, they're all at the JV football game. So it's like, how do we do something over there? And they, they we had a microphone. We had announcers at our Friday night high school football games, they called the game. Nobody called the JV games because nobody went to them. So we were like, right. hey, we volunteer to go up in the booth and do color commentary of the JV, right? I knew nothing about sports. <laughs> like I would see a guy starting towards, he'd be like at the five yard line. I was oh, touchdown, no good. You know, like he didn't, he, he didn't make it in. I would have to like convert, <laughs> you know, they're all looking up like, it's not like it's a field goal. You know, we, he was tackled on the that touchdown. <laughs> That's funny. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't last long in the booth. We made up a fake band. I had no musical talent, but we decided this was sort of before you could make memes and stuff like that as a kid. Right. We made up a fake band that we were, we said we were. Um, it was based on each of us having a name. Since my name was Patrick, I was Patrick St. Day. We each had a sort of a holiday name, right? And we were called Johnny Cool and the Holidays on Ice. And what we did was we made up a fake album cover with our picture on it, and we shrink-wrapped it so you couldn't see there wasn't an album in it. And we, and we pre-sold the albums. With one album, we would go, well, it's coming out soon if you guys want to, you know, buy it in advance or whatever. And they would say, well, where can we hear you play? And, like, everything would get us into a bigger lie. So we would go, well, we're going to practice after school on Friday. And so then we would go to the school auditorium. We would lock the doors, and we would play some obscure rock album on the speaker. Like, we didn't do anything, you know? And people go, we thought we heard you rehearsing. Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah, that, that was us. Yeah. We were getting putting some stuff yeah. together. I mean, it was kind of it was it wasn't like a hoax for real big big money. It was more like, can we pull one over on people? Now you grew up with a funny brother. I know your brother Dennis. I mean, maybe you have other funny brothers, but he's the funny. Bro They're all funny. Yeah. How many do you have? Well, my mom and dad have eight kids. Wow. Uh, yeah, six boys, two girls, and. Uh, all of my brothers are funny. Dennis, of course, also went into stand-up comedy, and he's great. Great comedic mind, a good writer. He wrote for King of Queens for a few years, and um, you know, he did a Tonight Show or two. He did a, I think, I think he did four Letterman's. Yeah, and, no, he's um, a talented guy. Very, very funny. Um, but all my all my other brothers and sisters are also funny. My oldest brother, Mike. I tell people that in my world, he's like the funniest person that I know. And I say, you could ask my oldest brother, Mike, a yes or no question, and it wouldn't matter whether the answer was yes or no, you would be, you would laugh at his response. He's just funny. And, um, you know, so it was my mom and dad are funny. My dad, he no longer with us, was just incredibly funny and he laughed at really interesting things. And um, so we, I grew up in a family with everybody making each other laugh. So uh, yeah, it's cool.
So it's in the DNA, and also I guess that what ends up happening, you play tennis with people better than you, you get better. If it's if you need to be funny at the dinner table to get attention, I imagine it raises the bar all the way around, right? Yeah, I used to say with a family of eight kids, I'm sitting down at the end of the table, and uh, the fish sticks wouldn't get passed down to the end unless I created some type of commotion to show that I existed. So I had to be funny. Like, hey, the funny kid at the end of the table needs some fish sticks. Yeah, let's give him some food. Now, you probably take a lot of pictures with people after shows. And how do you deal with the people don't know how to use their own cameras and stuff, right? Like, do you have a method on that? No, I, I wish I knew how to hurry people up. It's amazing, you know, how long it takes. They'll give the camera to some guy, you know, in the family, right? And he's trying <laughs> to take the picture and he's fumbling with it and he's pushing buttons and you're standing there and you're like, you know, I'm, I want to be a good guy. I want to be a polite guy. I want to be a, you know, right. But this should take 15 seconds and it's taking five minutes, you know? Um, hey, well, hey, well, one, one more. We just want to get one more. We just need some, <laughs> we, need, we just need some wallet size. No, we just need to, you know, they always got some. <laughs> I, or they, they want to do every mathematical combination of, there's five of them and they want to do every mathematical. Con now just pick, now just with Edna. Right. Now just with Joe, <laughs> right. and now with Joe and Edna, and now just the kids, and now just this side of the family. Right. Say, Can't you just, we just all do one big picture? Right, right. And there's sometimes five people, and they each want to use their camera, and you go, hey, you know you can share it. Yeah. You can send it to each other, right? They're all going to look very similar. I will give you a tip. This is a Kevin Nealon thing, because I've seen Kevin do it, and he has it down. He's got a great system, and he'll meet with everybody, but he carries the camera. It's his camera that he gives to a doorman or a bouncer. And so nobody gets their own camera. Nobody says, I don't know, is it pointing at me? Is it pointing? Whatever. And <laughs> and he and they come lining up, they say hey, they move it, they do whatever. And then they they give them a, a little business card that tells them the website they can pull themselves off. And uh... it, it means that the camera, the pictures are all in focus. It's it's amazing not only how efficient it is, but the fact that they go and that means that they're entering their email to get it. So you're building up your database, which in, in ticket sales world is when you come back to a town, you'd love it. That audience came back. It's really, really, um, it works for all people because you go there and you don't look through 1300 photographs. You find yourself. You don't care right. about anybody else. You just go, yeah, that was the night I had the red sweater on. Click, there I am. Boom, you know. It's and then like, you put it on Facebook and you're a hero, you know. When people are done, it sounds like a great idea. When people go on a cruise and, uh, you know, they have the photos all lined up, you know, you can buy the pictures. Like you say, nobody's looking at anybody else's picture. You could, Let's find pictures of us. We already know what we look like, but we want to look at pictures of us. That's us in the picture. You mentioned your dad earlier, and my yes. dad has passed in the last uh, couple of years. But is the voice that you use, because because it's funny, you use a voice that's not anybody in specific, but it's this sort of guttural, lower voice that you get into when you're being any number of characters in a disgruntled situation. Does that come from your dad? It's it's interesting. I, I Maybe I'm drawing on it subconsciously. Um in a previous hour thing that I did, I actually do some stuff about my father and, um, you know, uh, talk about 
his silly sense of humor and that sort of thing. So I try to capture his voice as best I can within that. But it does sound similar to an overall disgruntled adult kind of guy, which maybe I do tap into that for that purpose as well. When I very first became aware of you, you were doing comedy around the country, young, fresh face on the rise. I was hired to write for an Aspen comedy festival, and you were one of the young comics. I think Jerry Seinfeld was host. Yeah. But they sent me a VHS tape, and they go, hey, here's five different people. Write the intros for these comedians. Well, I thought, I'm not going to watch their act. I'm just going to kind of get a sense of who they are. But to do that, I was fast-forwarding through the tape. Like I would see somebody, and then I would fast-forward. When I watched you on fast-forward, it was like watching a jack-in-the-box uh, have epilepsy or something. The way you uh, you have like a shock absorber system that is not really noticeable when you're doing the comedy, but when you're watching it fast without any words, you you, you know you get into a crowd. It's almost like you're a you're a hunter. You're gonna jump an animal and get it right then, right? And I don't mean to, you, do you, you know what I'm talking about because it's yeah, it's yeah. unique to you, but you are, it's, you are like a, a sprung coil, you know? And it's, it's uh, awesome. That's cool. It is awesome because here's what's great about it. You use it so effectively that the audience is like, okay, here <laughs> he goes. And then you just, you just pounce on him. That's very, that's very, Nice. Thank you. Uh, Before we wrap up, I thought one of the interesting things to talk about is funny words. How some words are funnier than others. Things with the letter K are funny or whatever. They might get the basics. You know, things in threes are funny. But ultimately, you're always making a choice when writing a story or coming up with something. And it isn't, in your case, many times it's the scenario and observation. But sometimes it's it's just the craziest words. Do you have any f- words that are funny to your ear? Like when I hear the word gubernatorial, <laughs> I, I, it makes me laugh because I think, why do you, you can't say governor something? Like why Why do you need that, you know? <laughs> There's an it, R in there, gubernatorial, right? Yeah, well, guber, I guess, is part of the, the, yeah. the draw to that word. But I don't know. When somebody takes umbrage, I always think, oh, <laughs> Oh, they're 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 very mad. They're, they're not just upset. But they're, no one no one would use that word in a bar room brawl. Right. right. No one would go. Exactly. I'm, hey, buddy, I'm taking some umbrage with you right now. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's always at the loftier levels that those words get thrown around. You know. Right. How about funny cuss words? Do you have a uh, like? I think "shat" is the funniest cuss word of all time <laughs> because. Here's why I think it's so funny. It has to have happened to you. <laughs> you know, rarely do you say, oh, that guy shat his pants. People go, oh, you're so formal, like whatever. But I shat myself. <laughs> it, 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 you know. If it's it yourself. Feels, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of something pops into my head. I remember uh, when I was in college, a guy said that the funniest word he goes, I'm going to say this word and you're going to laugh. Then there's no way you can't laugh. And I'm like, eh, well, I don't know what to do when he says this word. Right. And he said, puny. <laughs> puny? Yeah. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, it's just kind of funny, but 
I can resist laughing <laughs> after hearing it. I mean, it is kind of funny, but <laughs> it's not as funny as you built it up to be. He goes, puny, isn't that a great word? It's like so funny. It's so weird, puny. And I'm like, okay, man. If I ever become a comedian, I'll put it in a joke. There you go. Well, it is, an, it is, a, it is not a often used word. So, you know, I mean, maybe you can own it. Maybe in your next special. I want to write a story about a, a little horse, the puny pony. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know what? That'll make all small ponies feel more confident. Right, right. Right. Well, listen, I so thank you for sharing some fun insights and just having a, a nice conversation with me. I would encourage our listeners to check out your newest comedy special on Netflix. What is that called? It's called, it's called On the Rocks. On the Rocks. And you From didn't shoot that at Red Rocks. No, but we shot it at a very similar theater called the Tuacon Amphitheater in southern Utah. It's an outdoor venue, and it's beautiful. Visually, it looks really interesting. I wanted to do that in case the jokes were mundane. At least the visual was, is strong. Right. You've got to see Brian's special for the scenery. <laughs> I think it Watch his special and look at everything behind him because right. it looks so good. I heard it. I heard Brian Special won Best Cinematography. <laughs> yeah, that's like the insult every comedian. I I never like the thing where they come up afterwards and they go, "You're so clean" or "You're so nice." It's like, could you just say, "I'm so funny"? Could you please? Right. You know, I don't want to get a hygiene award for <laughs> doing a comedy show. Um, well, you're terrific, pal. I you have many more funny things to share in life. I wish you luck on the new sketch concept. Rock on, brother. Thank you so much, Pat. Man, I had a great time with you. You're a good guy and a funny guy. And what I like about you is you're very clean and you're very wholesome. <laughs> right. I'm going to be selling uh, oven mitts after the show. <laughs> Thanks, pal. All right, man. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and you will always have an invitation to join us for more creative conversations and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is a production of Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, under WizBank producer Amanda Rosenberg, with editing by audio aficionado Tony Deo. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. Additional support, courtesy of our creative posse, Delilah Lovejoy, Casey Franco, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's, on Facebook, or by visiting our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. Yeah, you heard that. It's dot fun because dot com is just not fun. Cheers. Stay.